In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, the genius of the historic one-year lectionary, is, that, that is the specific set of readings that we get every Sunday for the year, uh, is that we get to meditate on the full counsel of God, on all of the topics of Christianity in the course and throughout the course of a year. Uh, so within the year, we're, we'll hear lessons on miracles or on temptation, uh, persecution, the end times, Uh, the resurrection, good works, faith, even money. Today, we learn what God says about marriage. We rarely ever hear sermons on marriage. Uh, And I know there's an entire generation, I think my generation, that was brought up just assuming that we'll figure it out on our own. (laughs) Uh, So we never really got much teaching on that. Um, and, and here's the thing is that the one time we do hear a sermon on marriage happens to be at a wedding when no one is paying attention, <laughs> right? It's because people are focused on the dress or focused on the music or who's there, what family's there, these sort of things and so on. So, uh, so I think it's good to hear a sermon on marriage while nothing else is going on to distract us, at least in, in the church. <clears throat> now, on top of weddings being a rare occasion... I think a lot of pastors have simply chosen to not preach or teach on marriage altogether. And many think this, this is the the thought pattern. Look, why preach a sermon on marriage if not everyone is married? Uh, It won't be relevant to everybody. It won't apply. Well, I disagree. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is all scripture, all of it. There's not anything in there that is useless or that we shouldn't learn. So learning what God says about marriage is useful if you're married or not, if you're engaged or divorced, or if you're a widow, or even if you'll never get married. Titus chapter 2, verse 1 says this. It says, older men are to be sound in faith. This includes what the Bible says about marriage. Then it continues and says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So even if you are not married, the Bible says that you should support and encourage those who are married Because marriage is very, very difficult. It is very tough. I want to make one last point before getting into the text. I could have preached on any one of the texts here for today. Uh, The epistle lesson, or the the gospel lesson, the Old Testament, the the psalm, the intro, anything like that. But I chose to preach on Ephesians 5, which is the second reading, the epistle lesson on marriage. And this is because marriage is in serious trouble. In fact, I don't think there's anything in the world that the devil attacks more than marriage. And this is because marriage is the foundation of all of society, the foundation of government, the foundation of a nation, the foundation of a church is marriage even. Now, and this is because, so so if the devil wants to destroy these things, if he wants to attack these things, uh, his most efficient and effective attack is to destroy the marriage. 
And, and so just look it up yourself. You can go, go online and, and Google this or, or search for this. Look up fatherlessness and crime or divorce and child behavior or single mothers and poverty. And the statistics are astounding. It is astounding. The number one contributing factor to homelessness, to behavioral disorders, to crime, to incarceration, to addiction, to rape, to murder, and suicide is one common thing. It is a broken home where the home breaks apart between the husband and the wife. And that trickles down and carries over to the children. And I think this is exactly why our country, our politics and schools and streets are in the exact condition in which they are right now, that they are in shambles. On top of all of this, the world has created substitutes for marriage, things to avoid it, and so turned to cohabitation or just promiscuity or homosexuality or pornography or adultery and so on. Now, I can go on and on about what marriage is not, but we would be here for 12 hours and uh, I still wouldn't get through it. So instead of focusing on what marriage is not, I will focus on what marriage is, what it is. Uh, So what is marriage? Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 tells us, it says this, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, cling to her, and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage is when God unites a man, one man and one woman for life. Now, men and women's bodies are uh, complete in every single way. So uh, every man and every woman has a complete respiratory system, a complete cardiovascular system, a complete digestive system, and so on. It's a closed circuit. Everything is, is complete. Uh, and men and women are complete in every single way except for one. And that is the procreative or reproductive system. That part of every man and woman is incomplete. It's incomplete. And it's made complete only in marriage. Only in this one way. Now, just like a violin and the bow are one instrument, or the key and the lock are one mechanism, and it's useless, or or, or, there's no real completeness in one without the other, so to a husband and a wife, are one thing. They are joined together in one thing. And even more, not only is their flesh joined together and complete in marriage, but their flesh is joined even further and greater, in a greater way, in that God gives them a baby. And this is the physical, inseparable mixture of their bodies into another thing, into another human being. So when the Bible says that they'll become one flesh, it means you're going to have a baby. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about this flesh union, literally one flesh. Now, <clears throat> now we have to admit that we didn't create marriage. God did. And since God made marriage, marriage doesn't change. And even more, since God made it, he also tells us how it's supposed to be, how marriage is supposed to look like, how it works. And in fact, God knows how our marriages are to be happy. He knows how to make our marriages uh, happy marriages. And so today we learn the two parts in making marriage work, to have a happy marriage. And the two parts are the husband and the wife. 
And the first thing God says is this to wives. Um, He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself her savior. Now, I am well aware that many in this world would consider this hate speech (laughs) uh, or some sort of misogynistic or oppressive teaching uh, that feminists don't like this verse. I've heard pastors, in fact, apologize for this text and others simply omit the reading from wedding ceremonies because they're afraid that somebody's going to get offended because of what these words say. I've seen others try to explain away the word submit and say, look, well, that's not really what it means. That's not a good translation. Or, or that's what it meant back then a long time ago. But now uh, things are different. And so things have changed. Uh, I've seen others say, look, well, what this is really talking about is mutual submission. Wives submit to their husbands. Husbands submit to their wives. But that is all wrong. <clears throat> There's no such thing as mutual submission. It's, it's impossible. There's, there's no such thing as that. Two people cannot follow one another. One has to lead, one has to follow. Uh, neither can two lead. So even more, the Bible doesn't talk about spouses. It talks about as if they're interchangeable. It talks about husbands specifically and wives specifically and the specific roles that each one has. So instead of trying to change what the Bible says, we should change ourselves. Our minds. So let the world recoil at this text, but not you. You are a Christian, a child of God, and these are the words from your dear Father in heaven who loves you, who does not speak any ill, who does not do anything wrong. So learn them well and take them to heart. Okay, so the Greek word here for submit is uh, hypotasso which uh, is literally made of two other words, and it uh, means literally to stand uh, under or under orders uh, or under an order. And that means that the wife is to submit to be under the order of the husband to stand in a specific place in the marriage. God calls a woman to be under the man according to God's design. That is what the Bible says. So that means that the husband is the head of the home and not the wife. He leads and she follows. He loves and she submits. So God has called her to listen to him, to help him, to do what he says, to support him and follow him as he leads his house, as he leaves his home. And she shouldn't fight or resist what he does. She shouldn't boss him around, but rather she humbly follows him. Now, wives, your submission to your husband doesn't depend upon his skill or merit. This is important. Many times, wives are better than their husband in many things. Uh, you, wives, many times, are more intelligent than their husband, uh, better leaders than their husbands, better cooks, uh, more organized, as Erica is, and so on. Uh, but the point is this. Your submission to your husband, wives, your submission to your husband doesn't depend upon your husband's talent or skills or how good he is. It depends upon God's command. It depends upon what he says. That you're to submit not because your husband has earned it, but because that's what God tells you to do. You submit in all things, 
Okay, keep that in mind. You submit in all things except when your husband tells you to sin. That is when you can disobey him. Because at that point, you obey God rather than men, right? But in all other things, if he's not telling you to sin, then you listen to him. And you gladly do it. And your submission to your husband is not conditional. It does not depend upon him. Now, I I know that women often recoil at this and say, see, look, God doesn't care about women. This is so rude. Uh, It's demeaning. This is sexist. But that is not true. God doesn't tell a woman to submit because uh, to her husband because she's less valuable than he is. Rather, God tells her to submit precisely because she is the valuable one. (laughs) Precisely because she's the one worth protecting. She's the one worth serving. So look, just a few verses later, God tells children to submit to and uh, uh, obey their parents, to obey their father and mother. That is not because God hates children. In fact, the most important thing in your home is your child. The next most important thing in your home is your wife. And then very last comes you, men. (laughs) Uh, God puts fathers and mothers above children to protect them because he loves them and they are valuable. And God puts a husband to cover and stand before his wife precisely because she is valuable. She is worth protecting. And when a wife does this, when she takes her place and when she willingly uh, takes her place given by God and doesn't fight or rebel against it, this is a great and glorious blessing from God. Okay, now the sermon doesn't end here. Uh, that's the first part. Wives, submit to your husbands. The second part to making marriage work is this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This here is the greater burden. This is the exceptional task that God calls a, a man to love and care for his dear wife, even at the expense of his own life. When God tells men to love their wives, he's not appealing to emotions as if you can conjure up some sort of feeling or great sentiment towards your wife. Uh, rather, God is calling you to think and to act and behave in a certain way toward your wife. That is, to treat your wife the way that God treats the church. And yes, wives need to submit in humility. But husbands, you are to lead in love. And to do that, you need to consider your wife more important and valuable and precious than yourself. You consider her needs above yours, her desires above your own, her body above yours. You consider her more important than yourself, yes, but never more important than God. You should never put her above God or his word. So rather, instead of letting that happen, you lead her gently in love. And this is the point. Guys, God makes you the head of your home, not so that you dominate, abuse, and demean your wife, but so that you would bless her and protect her and love her and care for her so that God would do all these things through you, so that you would be the instrument of blessing to her. 
God has given you the stronger body to sacrifice yourself for her each day, to put up with all of these difficulties and the annoyances of life, your desire, your energy, your money, your strength, you lay down at her feet. You give up all of these things without expecting a reward in return. And you do it selflessly out of love because you adore her. And just as your wife's submission to you isn't conditional, men, this means that your love for your wife is not conditional. It does not depend, your love for her does not depend upon her submission to you. You love her because God told you to. And that's all, no matter what. And this is how God designed marriage. And this is how marriage is happy. When husbands love their wives like this, and when wives submit to and respect their husbands. And whenever this happens, whenever it happens in that way, the way the Lord has said, it is beautiful. It is the most beautiful thing. This is a good and godly and God-pleasing marriage, and this is what happiness looks like. Now, keep all of that in mind, and also... Uh, know that I'm not naive. I know I am married. I know what marriage looks like. And rarely does it look like this. I know wives fail to submit to their husbands for very long. And I know that husbands fail to love their wives. I know wives try ruling the home. And husbands become selfish and lazy. I know that wives order their husbands around and husbands deal harshly with their wives. And this happens in every single marriage because every marriage is plagued by sin. But the thing that's broken is not marriage, it is us. Now with that being said, all of this isn't why marriages fail or break apart. Even the best wives in this world don't perfectly submit and the best husbands don't perfectly love. So why is it that some marriages fail and, other, and break apart and others don't? Well, the reason a marriage fails is because of this. The husband and wife think that they can fix it themselves. And they think they can solve their own problem of sin. Sometimes they will think, look, I must have married the wrong person because this is so difficult. And if I just married someone else, it would all have been easier and better and it would have worked out. Uh, do you, sorry. Do you remember that uh, movie in the 1970s uh, called The Love Story? Right? Uh, it had that tagline, that slogan that says, love means never having to say you're sorry. Uh, Well, anyone who's been married for five minutes knows that's not true. (laughs) Um, Because marriages don't work that way. It is not based upon finding someone who's perfect. Marriage doesn't work because you found the perfect person who never has to say sorry. Or a person who will never hurt you or let you down. Or a person who you never have to forgive. Or because you found the, the woman who perfectly submits. Or the man who perfectly loves as Christ loved the church. Marriages only work Through saying sorry, only work through repentance. They only work through repentance and forgiveness. And so, guys, what you shouldn't do is this. What you shouldn't do is take this verse and beat your wife over the head and try to force her to submit and say, see, this is what the Bible says, I told you. And wives, you shouldn't do the same to your husbands and try to get him to love you 
in that way. Don't turn against each other and try to point out who failed and, who, and tear down each other. And say, look, you failed in this way and you failed in that way and this and that. That is, the, that, that is literally the exact opposite of repentance and forgiveness. Rather, <clears throat> listen to God's word for yourself, what God said to you today, and then provoke the other to do good by your good. Husbands, if you love your wives like that, like Ephesians just said, I guarantee you she will gladly submit. No question. And wives, if you submit to your husband... I guarantee it will be so easy for him to love you. And the point is this, that you need Jesus not only on the day of your wedding, but you need him every single day of your marriage. We all need Jesus to not only tell us what marriage is and how it should be, but we need him to save us when we mess it up. We need his forgiveness for all of our sins and his mercy for our mistakes. And thanks be to God. The one thing that we need so much of is the one thing he gives so much of, which is his forgiveness. And that is what marriage is founded upon. God forgiving your sins. And this forgiveness saves marriages. And it brings peace again. Now, before closing, I want to say one last thing. Uh, The Bible says something very profound here at the end of this text. It says, this mystery, marriage, is great or profound. And I tell you that it refers to Christ and to the church. In other words, marriage doesn't go well a lot of the time, but when it does... When marriage works like it's supposed to, even for a brief moment, God says that that is an image, a small glimpse, a reflection of the relationship between Jesus and the church. And that's how Jesus loves the church. And that's how God loves you. He was not afraid to commit himself to you, his bride. He did not seek you for his own pleasure. He did not use you. He doesn't despise you or betray you. He doesn't break his vow or falter. When you fail, he covers your faults. When you sin, he forgives you. When you're attacked, he puts his life down and defends you. When you're lost, he forsakes everything else and gladly gives his body and his blood and his sweat and his tears for you. When you were in need... He gave you every ounce of life in his flesh, in his body, poured out his soul through his veins. He devoted every fiber in his being to you. And when he looks at you, his eyes are filled with love. And he pledged himself to you with a ring of thorns around his head. And he wrote a book of love for you with the ink of his blood. And with his dying breath, he tells you how much he loves you. And that he would gladly do it all again if he had to. That is what Jesus has done for you, the bride, the church. And here we are, the bride of Christ. And we just look and we smile. And we're filled at one, with wonder and awe at how much he does to save us. At how much he loves us. We marvel at all he did for our sake, for our good. And so we gladly listen for his voice. And we cling to his every word and we happily do everything he says out of love and joy. 
And so we're happy to call him our own. We're happy to call him our head, our leader, our Lord. And we long to see him again. This, dear saints, is what marriage reflects. The great love between a husband and a wife is created after his great and undying love for you and your joy in him. So husbands, love your wives and cover up her faults because the Lord has covered up all of yours. And wives, learn to respect your husbands, not because they deserved it, but because whatever they've done wrong has been born by the Lord who loves you and who saves you and gives you eternal life. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.